Well, I am extremely grateful to be here today, and uh, I was really praying for the early part of this week, what should I share? And I decided that as I've gone through this Christian life, and as I have dealt with different people and tried to encourage them in the Christian faith, one of the modern things that we often fall victim to is that we can all come to Christ at any time, which is 100% true. You can come to Christ at any time and He will receive you. But the one thing that I've thought about often is that He doesn't want to leave us where He receives us. And so the title of my message, if you're taking notes, is Come As You Are, But Don't Stay There. Um, before we begin, I just want to give you a little bit more background. As Todd said, I've been working with WJQ doing devotions on their morning show uh, for about a year and a half, and I have met some great people through that. Uh, as a result, I've become uh, involved on a periodic basis with uh, also Ignite Radio with J.R. Pittman, which is also on WJQ, and have done my weekly podcast now for um, 21 weeks. So I think I'm starting to understand what I'm doing, and I hope that you will avail yourself of that. And just to let you know, it's available on iTunes as well. So you can subscribe to it um, through your iPhone and join us every week. Um, And just a couple prayer requests for my personal ministry. One is that you would just continue to pray that... um, doors will open. I want to be doing this every Sunday if the Lord is willing to allow me to do that. I'm actually um, hoping in the very uh, near future to be officially commended by my church. We're talking about that and and I'm very excited about that prospect and uh, I'm just very pleased with what the Lord has done and I hope that God will bless you today and that he'll teach us all what we need to to learn and to know. And then the second prayer request that I've been mentioning a lot because I I feel increasingly burdened to do so is that I'm praying for a wife. I really would like to have a wife who can partner with me in this ministry and help to grow it even bigger than it is. And I know she's out there somewhere, but if you could pray that she would find me and that we would be able to do more for the kingdom together than we ever could apart. I would really appreciate that. But let's get into our message. I'm just going to open in another brief word of prayer and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, it is with gratitude that we come um, before you and we ask you to um, bless this time. I ask that you would anoint my words, that they would be your words, that they would not be my words. And I ask that you would reach people where they are. But as this message says, that you wouldn't leave them there, that you would help them to go on for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I do have some cross-references for every point. And I did not um, write down the scriptures myself. I have the references. So when I come to a cross-reference, I'm going to ask you, to look them up and the first person to find them to stand and read it. So I hope that you have your Bible with you. 
and that you are prepared for that. It's one way that I keep my audiences awake. So let's start reading um, in Ephesians chapter 2, starting with verse 1. We're just going to look at the first 15 verses of this uh, chapter. And Paul is talking about, to the Ephesians, about where they were and about where God wants to take them. And so that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Where you were, or perhaps where you are, because I'm not going to assume that everyone here has been born again yet. But as Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. So my greatest prayer for you this morning is that if you have not been born again, that this message will, will be the impetus to cause you to desire to be born again and to cry out to God in faith. So we're going to look at the first five verses to begin. The first point that I have is God's mercy brings us life. And it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, and I just want to pause here and say, whenever you see but God, something exciting is about to happen. Amen. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace, you have been saved. And as we look at this, we can see ourselves in this passage. Now, I was saved when I was five years old. So in some ways, there's not a lot I can remember about being dead in trespasses and sins. But nonetheless, I was dead in my trespasses and sins. For David said it this way, In sin did my mother conceive me. I was born a sinner. I was a sinner from the moment of my conception. And when, when my great-grandfather died, I believe that's who it was, I asked my mother if he was going to heaven. And she said, I don't know, because I don't know what he did with Jesus. And you know, that's the question that we all have to answer. What are we going to do with Jesus? And I was listening, you know, we, it was mentioned earlier about the Bible miniseries. And I was listening to Focus on the Family this week, and Roma Downey and her husband Mark Burnett are doing this series so that people will ask themselves the question, what am I going to do with Jesus? I was first very skeptical when I heard that the series was coming out. But after hearing them on Focus on the Family, I'm very excited, and I hope that it brings many people to the kingdom. So if you have any unsaved friends that you can bring to that watch party at Pastor Todd's tonight, please do it. It's going to be a good experience, I think, and I'm especially excited that when they get into the New Testament, one of the things they're going to cover is Nicodemus coming to Jesus by night, 
where Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. So I'm very excited about that. But as we look at this, we see that we were children of disobedience. That we fulfilled the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath. Now we don't like to hear that. We hear a lot today in our society about the inherent goodness of man. My friends, if, if men were inherently good, then why is our newspaper headlines filled with evil? The answer is found in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, where it says, The heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And it says in Romans chapter uh, 3, I believe, it says, No one seeks after God. So how can man be basically good? We can't. Apart from God, we are nothing. As a matter of fact, Paul, the author of this chapter of the Bible, this book of the Bible, said in another book, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. And if this passage ended here, with verse, you know, with, with that we were even as the others, we would be of all men most miserable. But it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins. I want to talk about this for a second because sometimes we think, even as Christians, that there's something we can do to prepare to be saved. Something we can do to clean ourselves up and then we'll come to God. I heard it said this way this week. We think that we need to untie our knots and then come to God and be ready to serve Him. No. We need to come to God knotted and allow Him to take out the knots. So the question is, are you willing and ready to come to Him so that He can take out the knots. Because you're not going to get the knots out by yourself. I know as a, as a disabled man, there have been many times when I wanted to do something myself and I would go about it and be frustrated for an hour, two hours, three hours because I didn't want to ask for help. And some of you sitting here might be wondering if God is so great, why didn't he heal you yet? And I want to answer this question right off the bat by saying, I believe that this wheelchair is my thorn in the flesh sent by God to keep me close to him. The moment this wheelchair is not necessary to my ministry, it will be gone, whether here or in the air. I believe it will be in the air, and I'm excited about that because the very first time I'm able to kneel will be when I kneel before the Lord and confess Him as Lord to the glory of God the Father. And there's nothing more exciting than that. Continuing on this theme that God's mercy brings us life, could somebody look up the verse 2 Timothy 1 9? 2 Timothy 1 9. First person to get to it, if you could read it. 
All right. Thank you. So he not only saved us, he called us. And we're going to talk about that as we go on through this message. But think about that for a moment. He didn't only say, you're safe from your sins, and I'm going to provide a home for you in heaven. He gave us a calling. For me, that calling was to preach the gospel. And I was stubborn about it. For the first nine years that I was saved, I knew my eternal destination. It was secure. But for those first nine years, I thought my temporary destination stunk. And I told God that over and over again. And I said, God, I know that the Bible says you don't make mistakes, and maybe you don't make a lot of mistakes, but you made one here. And I kept saying to God, if, you, if only you had given me a healthy body, then I could serve you. And he would say back to me, but Andrew, but Andrew. And he kept saying that over and over again, and I kept ignoring him. And when I was 13, my three-month-old baby brother died in his sleep. And I can remember in the, in the months following that, I was so bitter and so mad and so angry. And I remember sobbing in my mother's arms and saying, God, why did you take him and leave me here? Because I'm absolutely useless. And God in his great mercy said to me, Andrew, you're not useless. And when you surrender your life to me, then I can use you. And that's why I'm here today, because I made a promise that day when I was 14 or 15. Don't even remember the exact time, but I made a promise that day that I would share His Word with whoever I could. And that led me to, uh, in 2009, formally committing myself to ministry and starting speaking for Him after the counsel of my father and many other godly men and friends in my life. And I'm so thankful about the way that God is expanding my ministry through the podcast and through opportunities like this to come to new churches to share God's Word. Okay, so we're on a journey. We already talked about this a little bit, but after God's mercy gives us life, it doesn't just leave us in life. God's mercy brings us purpose. Looking at verses 6 to 10 of our chapter, Paul says, And hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace ye are saved, through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. 
And I, I just want to make a couple points here. That he raised us up to sit together in heavenly places in Christ. There's a verse in Hebrews that says that Christ, even though he's our Savior, even though he is our Redeemer, he is also our brother, and that we are joint heirs with him, and that we have all the rights and privileges of a son of God. How amazing is that? And then, the all too familiar verses, I think they're too familiar because I think we glaze over them without much thought. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. For by grace are ye saved through faith. You know, for people who think that good works will get us to heaven, it goes back to that, that first point we started with, that we are all, apart from the grace of God, amazing sinners. Nobody has to teach us to sin. Um, sin is ingrained in a, in a baby from the moment they're born, and you just look at a, at a two-year-old, and, and the things that we excuse as terrible twos, obviously they're not mature enough to understand a lot of what we do, a lot of what we say to them, but they are sinners. And that's what it comes from. And let me ask you, if works were going to save us, how many good works would you have to do? How many service Sundays would you have to do in order to make sure that you hit the magic number? I don't have to worry about magic numbers because my salvation comes because Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and I accepted his sacrifice for my sins and so when I get to the gates of heaven and they say, Andrew, why should I let you in? I can say, because Jesus Christ died for my sins and he paid for them and I accepted it and he is my savior. That is why I'm going to heaven. Not because of anything I've done. It's all Him. But He doesn't just save us for the later. He saves us for the now. It says in Ephesians 2.10 here, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. I think it's interesting, Paul goes to great lengths to make sure that you understand that it's grace by which you are saved, but he's not telling you to give up good works. I'm so excited to hear that this church does cis Sundays. I think that's awesome. But see, the good works that we do come out of our gratitude for Christ. They are a result. They are not a requirement. And if somebody could read for me Hebrews 13, 20, and 21. First person to get there can go ahead and read that. I got it. All right. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. Verse 21 also? Yes. Okay. Equip you with everything good for doing his will and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ whom be glory forever and ever 
So, he doesn't just save us, he equips us. You know, there, there's a famous saying that's almost become cliche, and it's not directly scripture, but I believe it with all my heart. It's that he doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the call. You know, a lot of times when we look at who should do a certain task, we say, well, they have to be um, a certain height. They have to have certain physical skills, physical prowess. But just look through the pages of Scripture. He took a man named Moses, who at one time, the, the book of Acts tells us that one time he, was a, he felt like a powerful orator, and he thought that he was going to save the, the people of Israel by his own strength, but God had other plans. Because he led Moses to the back of the desert for 40 years. And I find great irony in this story because by the time God catches back up with Moses, of course God's been there the whole time, but by the time God decides to talk to Moses again directly, he says to Moses, Go! Lead the children of Israel out of Egypt and I will be with you. And Moses says, I can't. But the one thing that I have learned in my own personal experience is that you better not waste your time arguing with God because before the argument leaves your lips, He has an answer for you. If you argue with God, you will lose every single time. So, I wasted a lot of years arguing with God and I implore you not to do the same with all my heart. So, we see that God wants to use us. He has a plan. How do we figure out what God wants to do with us? This is a challenge that we all face. But I think what I can tell you is that you need to start serving Him in any way you can find. And as you start actively serving Him, He will point out areas to you that are strengths. And He will do that through confirmation through prayer. He will do that through confirmation through others in your life. The Proverbs say, In the multitude of counsels, counselors there is safety. And we need to make sure that we don't say because it's a good thing that it's God's for our life. Because David wanted to build a temple. For God. What could be better than building a temple for God? And yet God said, and Nathan, Nathan the prophet thought so too. But then God came back to Nathan and he said, you were wrong. You need to go to David and say, your son's going to build this, but you're not going to have anything to do with it because you are a man of war. Now David gathered the supplies and Solomon built the temple. Sometimes we're a part of the process, not the part that we want to be. But if we will find our place, and we will embrace that place, then the body of Christ can work efficiently. And we can turn the world upside down for Jesus Christ.
Moving right along, God's mercy gives us life. God's mercy gives us purpose. The third point and the final point that I have today is God's mercy brings us together. This is specifically talking about the relationship between Gentiles and Jews, but I think that we can apply it. We don't want to change the meaning, but we can apply it in a modern sense to the fact that God brings people from all kinds of cultural, social, economic backgrounds together at the foot of the cross, and we have to learn to get along with each other. Because God doesn't prize any of us above another. It says in Ephesians 2.11, Wherefore remember that you, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision, by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that you at one time were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. Let me pause here and say, can you imagine what would have happened if God had said, I'm only going to save the Jews? which is in his prerogative to do, because he can do whatever he wants. And yet he had made a promise to Abraham that in his seed would all the nations of the world be blessed. And I'm so thankful that that word all is there, because even though it's a small word, it's one of the most powerful words. All. And it says, But now, in Jesus Christ, you who were sometimes far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. So what Paul is saying to these Gentile believers is that even though I am a Jew, I am called to tell you that God has brought us all together. Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law so that we who are outside the law could be given grace. So that we could be grafted in. So that we could join God's chosen people at the foot of the cross. One of my greatest griefs today is that so many of God's chosen people don't realize that the Messiah has come. And that he wants to have a personal relationship with each person in the world. That he has fulfilled every prophecy that has been said about the Son of God. And that every prophecy that he hasn't fulfilled he will fulfill because he has proved by his faithfulness in the past that he will be faithful in the future. And I know for me sometimes it's easy to believe from my sheltered upbringing that only a certain type of person is a Christian or has the potential to be a Christian. 
I have to admit that I've judged on the outward appearance, which in some ways is hard for me to believe because I know that a lot of people judge me on my outward appearance because of my disability. But I have the same problem because, you know why? Because I have the same heart of wickedness that other men have. As it says about Elijah in the book of James, I am a man of life, like passions as you are. I struggle in a lot of the same areas that any, any man would, and I need the grace of God in my life on a daily basis. So I'm not saying anything to you that I wouldn't say to myself. Jesus Christ puts together the broken. As a matter of fact, He said when He read from the book of Isaiah, I'm come to bind up the broken heart. And then He was cast out of the temple because he told the truth. Could someone read from Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10? Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10. It's another example of how God is at work in this world. How he will be at work in this world. Because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. I don't know about you, but as a believer, that passage makes me very excited. Um, God has reached into every tribe and every tongue. And there are agencies like New Tribes Mission who are, who are um, trying to go into some of those places where it still have not been reached. But there's going to come a day when the last tribe is reached. When the last person uh, in God's economy, in, in His plan, has been reached. And, and Jesus is going to come. He's going to take those who love Him home and those who have rejected Him will be out of time. They will go to a place that burns but never burns up. Where the worm dieth not. Where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, there's pressure today for preachers to say that hell isn't a real place. To say that Oh, that Jesus' teachings were good, but most of them were figurative and they don't really matter. And whoever, and God will sort it all out in the end and everybody will make it no matter how they make it. But my Bible says in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. 
I'm here to say to you that I wish I could just give you good news. We've talked a lot about good news today. And there is good news if you'll accept Jesus. But if you reject Him, you will face eternity in hell. And as a preacher of the gospel, I would give anything to not have to preach that in some ways. But you know, you can't understand the love of God fully unless you understand the judgment of God. We must preach both. We can't just say God is love without realizing that God is also judgment, that God is holy, that He has a standard that none of us can live up to, but praise God, Jesus Christ can and did and does. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so yesterday, He saved me. Today, He is saving me. And forever, I will be saved. Because He makes the difference. He made a bitter, angry young man whole again. And He can do the same for you. And if you have trusted Him, but like me, you're fighting Him on some things that are happening in your life, I urge full surrender. Now, as I say that, I have to say that full surrender is a daily battle. But I also know that there was a point in my life where not very much surrender at all was going on and I, I was miserable. Like after the death of my brother. But as David said, he will not come again to me, but I will go to him. And one day I'm going to see my brother. And you know, I, I had to rededicate myself again just uh, a couple years ago to having even more fervor because I had a couple friends over the last year and a half pass away at very young ages. One was 28. The other was 32, I believe. They were believers. They were home in glory, but the one thing I was reminded about is that we don't know how much time we have to do what God has called us to do. And I want to get as much time done in the time that God has given me, whether it be 40 years or 4 years, as I can. I want to preach the gospel as many times as I can. And I want to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And not just reach unbelievers, but reach believers with the fact that there's a blueprint with how to do life in the Scriptures. We as families need to go back to the Scriptures and look at that blueprint for how we're supposed to live as families. We need, we have such a, 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 a problem in our society today where the genders are all melded into one where there's no distinction between men and women. 
But God makes a distinction, not as it pertains to the gospel. But God has roles for men and women specifically to play. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's beautiful. It's part of God's plan. And yet people are telling us that we're just all the same. That we shouldn't embrace differences. But if God made us, perhaps he knows how we should be living our lives. You know, I think that's the biggest cause of atheism in our country today, is that if there's a God, I might be responsible to him, and if I'm responsible to him, I might have to change the way I live. You know, when God chose his disciples... And Jesus chose the disciples. He didn't, he didn't choose the stellar. He didn't go to the Pharisees. He went to the fishermen, the tax collectors, people on the lower rung of society. Why? Because God chooses people for whom his tasks will be impossible, and he makes them possible so that he will receive the glory. And the Peter that we meet in the latter part of each gospel is not the same Peter that we meet in Acts chapter 4. Matter of fact, it says in Acts 4, and I'll close with this, it says in Acts 4, when Peter got up and preached after healing the lame man, it says that they marveled because they knew they were unlearned man, men. But they knew. It says they knew that they had been with Jesus. My question to you is this. Does the world know? Whether they hate him or whether they love him, does the world know that you've been with Jesus? And if you haven't been with Jesus, he's waiting for you. He wants to, to, to wrap his arms around you to restore the years the locusts have eaten and to use you for his honor and glory. You know, he used a prostitute in the line of Jesus Christ. Rahab was a great, great, great grandmother of Jesus Christ because she was the mother of Boaz who married Ruth, another Gentile, who had Obed, who had David, and on through to Christ. So God can take you if you're all messed up, and He can clean up the mess. And I would encourage you to do that. As I pray, maybe you need to do business with God, and I would encourage you to do that. I'll be here for at least a few minutes afterwards to talk to you. I'd like to greet you all. And if you have any questions, you can feel free to ask me or Pastor Todd about how to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. There's nothing more important. If you put God first, He'll clear up the details. But if we try to get the details straight first, we'll never succeed.
It says in the Psalms, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Let's stop laboring in vain and let's start knowing that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for coming to be with us here today. We ask that you would continue to put us through the refiner's fire, continue to grow us, continue to do in us what only you can do. We praise you for what you've done. And as we approach Resurrection Sunday in the coming weeks, we thank you for Resurrection Sunday. For Paul said, if there was no resurrection, then our faith is in vain. But praise be to God, there is a resurrection. Praise be to God, there is an empty tomb. The stone was not rolled away so that Jesus could get out, for we know that he could go through walls. The stone was rolled away so that we could look in and see the truth of what the angel said that day. He is not here. For he is risen, just as he said. Go quickly now and tell his disciples. May we be faithful in telling the world that Jesus is no longer dead, but is alive. And may we show that by the world seeing him alive in us. In Jesus' name, amen.